No idea what episode this is, but uh, I see. But we don't do this. Don't let him corrupt you. We don't make our picks right away because then the radio show is over in about ten minutes. Well, there's a couple of things I want to talk about. <laughs> and he's at it again. <laughs> and the bears are like, well, we got Bob Evelini. I haven't heard an answer yet, Joe. And you're not going to hear one from him. That's, That's not how this show works, old man. <laughs> Herbert, Herbert is pronounced a bear. Oh, no, it's Herbert. No, it's a bear. By the way, I have to apologize. You guys, her writer Jay was right about Justin Herbert. It is Herbert. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Surviving the Ground. We're here uh, with, uh, we got the Night Shift crew in place. Um, so we got uh, myself, of course. I'm Jay Dante, host extraordinaire. And I've got my father, Joseph Dante, on the other line. How's everything going, Pops? Really great. Hey, another uh, thing you got to toss in about yourself is a man of great humility. <laughs> Well, you know, I don't like to gloat, but, you know, I am the best. Hmm. Um, yeah, so we've got a lot of uh, crazy things coming up. We've got uh, well, we had a uh, championship weekend for the NFC and the AFC. We've got the Super Bowl coming up. We've got, um, we've got the Madden Pro Bowl that I'm really excited for. Um, and then we got what are the Bears gonna do? You know, we gotta always think about what the what's the next move for the Bears. Uh, I think it's the main reason that Nate skipped out on the podcast tonight. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I know you were you were itching to talk some uh, some Hawks and Liverpool. <laughs> well, not to bore the audience, but uh, I just want to touch base with them and and two teams that don't get a lot of press lately. You know, Liverpool played today. They beat, uh, or they won the game uh, 3-1 to over Tottenham, I should say. And it's a pretty big win because uh, Tottenham was uh, kind of neck and neck with them. Liverpool at this stage, you know, they had really, really struggled to score goals. I think they went like 480-something minutes before they finally scored a goal, which is very unusual. Liverpool usually scores like crazy historically. And consequently, their last five games resulted in two losses and three draws. Now, they only gave up three goals in five games, but I think they only scored one goal in the whole last five games. So uh, it's really been a struggle. So this is a huge game against Tottenham. Even with the win, there's still four games out of first, or four points out of first place. And uh, Manchester U, uh, they've got a game in hand. So likely they'll probably go up seven points. So I think it's a it's still a long haul I think for Liverpool. I don't I don't you know, they'll, they'll be competitive obviously, but I don't think they're going to win it. But you got to hang in there. You never know. You still got a game against uh, Manchester uh, Manchester City. Actually, I said Man U before. I meant Manchester City. Yeah, no. I well, you know, it seems more and more like Liverpool uh Liverpool is a, I guess it's like the Cubs, you know. You you got one and you, and you got <laughs> yeah. and you got to be happy with it, you know, just saying. <laughs> Take what yeah. you can get out of it. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. It looks like it's going to be one and done, but at least they snuck that one in. Exactly. So they, they can do it. I mean, they have a great team, but, uh, you know, the way Manchester City's playing, uh, yeah, they may not give up seven points for the rest of the year. You just don't know. I, that two years ago when Manchester City brought down Liverpool from behind, they had to win their last 14 games in a row to close out the season without a draw in order to catch up and beat Liverpool by one point in the standings year before last. So you just never know. They may, uh, they're may they on a tear right now, City, and uh, I don't know if they can make up. They do play one more game against them, but yeah, we'll see. It'll be an exciting season. I think their main goal is that they've got to stay in that top four. I think they're fourth place right now, but they got to try and stay in that top four. But who would ever imagine that uh, right now the team they're battling for fourth place is West Ham United. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you gotta watch out for gotta watch out for the ham. That's right. That, that was a rallying cry before the season started. So I know you also want to talk some Hawks. I know they've had uh, some ups and downs uh, here here in Chi Town, but a uh, little more ups as of late. Yeah, you're right. They certainly couldn't have been much worse than last time we were broadcasting. They were, I guess technically they were 0-3-1, uh, but they had lost their first four games of the season, won in overtime, and had given up 20 goals and only scored nine. But uh, since then, they actually have won a couple of games. So they now sit at 2-4-2. Uh, two, two. So they moved up a little bit in the standings. Um so they've got six losses, basically, and two wins, two overtime losses. <clears throat> but the key, the thing you got to remember is the two wins were against the Detroit Red Wings, who are pretty awful. So, yeah, uh, I, I, things are looking up. I think you know we said that you know the defense and the goal thing is going to get a little better. You know they're they're going to win some games, but whether they'll be serious contenders for the cup or not, that's uh, probably highly highly doubtful. Especially if Taves stays out. If Taves comes back. Um, you know, it might be a different story, you know, to make the playoffs, but uh, it's going to be, be a tough role because they just have so many young players right now, so many players that are new to the team, still trying to gel. Uh, the goal, oh, yeah. they it's, did, their goaltending has been better. Yeah. And they've got the, Kevin Lankin in particular, actually is the goalie in both their wins. So we'll see. Maybe, uh, not that he's a superstar being anointed, but uh, maybe they found somebody who can be pretty good. And we'll see how that plays out. Well, yeah. Well, at least at least to some extent, we've gotten a little more used to the Blackhawks being. I mean, post like post their championship runs in the, you know, in the in the teens, um, you know, it, it got kind of frustrating to watch them fall off hill. But it, it's become kind of a a ritual around here lately. Um. So yeah, so at least you know if you're seeing any kind of bright spots at all, you're you're getting something out of it. Um, well, if you don't, I, have, I, I agree. Well, if you don't, I don't know how much more you have uh, to detail on them, but uh, we've got a lot of football ground. Uh, well, my final comment is is that it just proves the old adage that you know we were going to be fine as a Blackhawks fan. We just had to find somebody we could beat. <laughs> And that's that's the key to most sports, but yeah. as long as we can play the Red Wings a dozen times this year, you know we'll be okay. Yeah, I don't know yeah. how often they play, but we need to play them a dozen. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we've got we had a championship weekend in the NFL. Um, unbelievably, still on schedule despite COVID and de- despite everything else going on around us. Um, 
just an absolutely miraculous job keeping everything together through all this. I mean, you haven't had any deaths from COVID. Um, certainly not from any any actual players. Um, you know, despite some positive testing, but even that fairly low. Um, and so realistically, they've been able to keep things on track. But I know uh, at least one person who will probably listen to this. I know Nate's a little fed up about the Packers Bucks game. Uh, in terms of penalty calls, because I believe that the the Bucks somewhere along the line had a particularly insanely low amount of penalties called in that game, if any at all, on them. Um, I don't know. How was your feeling about that game? I feel like you and me probably feel eerily similar, and it's it's that despite any of the calls or you know any of the favoritism that the NFL tends to play. The reality is, I, I, this, despite winning our bet last week, and you know, an offer to a trip that I'm sure Nate would have already invited me to, regardless, um, you know, I, I wanted them to win. You know, I wanted the Packers to see the Packers win and everything, and it was kind of frustrating to watch them kind of twiddle their thumbs a bit and really take it like you know, we'll give Brady the chance in the first place to get to get ahead so far. Um, but then to blow all the opportunities given to come back. Yeah, I, to me, uh, you can complain at any football game. You can complain about the penalties called or failed to be called. Maybe the maybe the penalty at the near the end of the game on the on the uh, you know pass interference that might have been a little ticky tacky. But I don't really think there's any favoritism because first of all, it's at Green Bay. If anything, you know the refs would have been you know. Subconsciously, they have been concerned about angering, you know, the fans around there. I mean, you say, "Well, Joe, there's no fans in the stands. They're very few." But believe me, the, the city of Green Bay is right there. They know what's happening, you know. So they'll they'll see in the parking lot after the game. You know? <laughs> it's like every coach that we ever played in uh, Madden '05. <laughs> every coach that uh, Jay and Joe lit up for about 600 yards. <laughs> But anyway, what I was going to say, though, is that you can, you can complain about the officiating, but it wasn't the officials that decided that game in reality. You, you cannot put yourself in a position where uh, any one call like that is going to cost you a trip to the Super Bowl. You know, Packers, to your point, Packers had chances all over the place. You know, too many three and outs. Uh, you know, I don't know. Rodgers didn't really seem to be, you know, having a, a really good game like he has all year. A uh, couple things stick out in particular that, we're just inexcusable. Uh, first half at the end, Tampa Bay had the ball around midfield with eight seconds left. Now everybody in the whole stadium knew that they had to be a bomb, right? So you know you line up, say four or five players along the the end zone line, and you wait for the bomb and you knock it down. But no, they just played like their normal defense, and Brady was able to complete a bomb for a touchdown with no time left in the first half. I mean that's just inexcusable. I mean, I, I saw, I forgot what team it was, but I saw a defensive coach get fired uh, right after letting that up. Now, that, that was uh, at the end of the game rather than the half, but the guy got fired for that. that that's just inexcusable <laughs> defense. That just can't happen. It's, uh, the GM just comes down. In the, I mean, I know it's happened. I think it's happened before, but GM just comes down and during halftime and just, just sacks the defensive coordinator. Just... <laughs> Like at halftime in the locker room, you're out of here. 
Yeah, another play that really turned the tide around was, uh, I think it was, if I recall, a catch out of the backfield by Aaron Jones. He got hit, fumbled. And Tampa Bay picked it up, ran it back, I think, to the eight-yard line. The very next play was a touchdown, a Brady touchdown pass. You know, that just, it's inexcusable. If Now, that wasn't as bad as is the uh, the defensive uh, play because that was just a physical error. That wasn't a mental error. In fact, he was injured on the play, Aaron Jones. But So the first one's just inexcusable because you made a huge mental mistake. That's really on the defensive coach. But uh, the second one's a physical error. But once again, if you want a trip to the Super Bowl, you know you can't be making those kinds of mistakes. So you couple that with a, a zillion three and outs that the Packers had. Gosh, you know, the Packers have played some games this year where they might just punt like one time the whole game. And, you know, they were punting left and right all over the place uh, this last game. So they had chances all over the place and just blew them all. Well, I think the main the main storyline or the drama to it is uh, the NFC has so much more uh, drama for the people participating because um, of the general age of all of the participants uh, in the party. I think that that's what made... Um, that weekend interesting to watch or all these weekends really interesting to watch because you see people like Breeze and Aaron Rodgers is more in the tank but I mean you just never know when that's your last year and uh, Brady obviously being way older um, all three of them I bet you probably see in uniform next year Um, but just interesting seeing that you never know when it's going to be your last opportunity to do that when it's funny when I look at the AFC game um, you know, it's sad. I really wanted to see the Bills. I thought they might win that game. Um, I, I wanted think you, to, pick, I, you. You picked the Bills, yeah. Didn't you, on our show, yeah. Yeah, I did, and I and I thought they were going to do better. And I thought I did think they had a chance to win that game, um, based on you know some rhythm that had been thrown off. But clearly, the they got the rhythm back in Kansas City. Um, and but but you know it's funny that like the drama of all of that stuff is kind of gone because you look at teams like the Browns. The Browns got got kicked out. Well, they've got a they got a young team. They have a lot of good young defensive offensive talents. A young quarterback. You know, they'll, they'll probably get another chance at it. The Bills they've got talent everywhere. Super young. You know that you know Josh Allen's young too. That they'll they'll have another shot at it. Um. So it's just funny looking at that game. There was something very anticlimactic about that game, uh, in terms of it's one thing to see Rodgers go down and another thing to see uh, Josh Allen go down because you're just like, yeah, eh, you're probably going to see them here again next year, assuming New England obviously doesn't really right the ship yet, and they can at least win their division. Um. So, so it's interesting. I mean, I just felt like that game was kind of anticlimactic. I mean, to be fair, the climactic part of it was gone when you and me went to pick up food and Kansas City went on a 21-0 run while we were gone. <laughs> so, Yeah, I mean, because uh, Buffalo was up, you know, 9 nothing to yeah. start the game. So we thought, man, maybe it'll be competitive. But, you know, it's like I was saying in a couple of podcasts ago, is when Kansas City plays somebody – you know, if somebody gets up on them by, you know, 10, 14 points, you know, you think, well, maybe it'll be a good game. But if they get up on you 14 points, forget it. <laughs> it's, it's over. Yeah, no, they just kind of ran away with the game and that kind of, they never really took the foot off the gas and the Bills never really recovered. Um, Well, so now we're looking at Chiefs-Bucks. You're looking at um, 
a super young quarterback in Mahomes. You're looking at the opposite end of the spectrum with Tom Brady. Um, so I think about this game, and realistically, as we've usually discussed, you don't know what Bucks team you're going to get, but you know a whole lot about the Chiefs team that you're going to get. Um, and realistically, for my money, I'm still taking the Chiefs. I think they're only favorited by about three and a half right now. Yeah. Um, so realistically, I don't think it's a, I don't think that's a bad get. And also, I know the over under on the game is like fifty two, fifty three points. Um, Bet it wouldn't. It would not surprise me if it's over. And I would. I would. I would certainly think it'd be over. Bet the over. Yeah, I, I would take the three and a half points. I mean, I, I wouldn't take. I would. I would take Kansas City even with the three and a half point uh, spread. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it'll be a pretty high scoring game. Most Super Bowls are pretty high scoring, surprisingly, you know, because you would think that teams generally get there, they have pretty good defenses. Now, I know the Super Bowl before it last was only thirteen to six, so that wasn't that great. God, but, oh, that 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 Super Bowl made me want to tear my eyes out. But most Super Bowls are actually fairly high scoring, and surprisingly, most most Super Bowls are are blowouts. You know, are won by more than ten points. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting. Yeah, it seems crazy. They. Um, was the one before the Rams, was that the Eagles Super Bowl? Uh, off the top of my head, I'm not sure. I think it was, yeah. That was, um, well, that e- the Eagles Super Bowl was one of the best Super Bowls I've ever seen. And that that's a classic example of, you know, the high scoring I was talking yeah. about. Although that one ended up being pretty close. I think they won by it, a touchdown. Yeah, something like that. It was very close, but it was it was a shootout to the end, pretty much. But a lot of creativity, a lot of just, you know, we got to go for it kind of action. Uh, then you got blessed and cursed with the Rams Super Bowl after that, where there was absolutely no offense whatsoever. Um, I th- and, uh, and I think, well, you know, it's always funny. I think back to like, you know, how many, you know, classic finishes have I witnessed in my lifetime? And I remember watching the, um, I remember watching the Rams Super Bowl. I believe that was 99 I mean, te- technically 2000 probably or if i yeah, think or is it yeah, the, or is it the they, 99 super bowl where they beat where they beat the titans yeah. yes where 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 he got stopped right, on the one January I, 2000 it was played yeah i remember i remember watching that uh in your guys house i remember watching that with my kurt warner jersey on and uh that was that yeah, that was one of the fact, that, i remember that was one of the most exciting finishes i've ever seen uh I just couldn't believe. I couldn't believe my eyes. Another high-scoring game. Yeah. It was like last year. Last year was thirty-one to twenty. So you know, relatively high-scoring game, fifty-one points. So that the kind of the the Rams Patriots was kind of weird. In fact, it was thirteen to three actually. I thought it was thirteen to six. It was thirteen yeah. to three. But you know, look at the last few Super Bowls before that. It was forty-one. The game we were talking about the the uh, Eagles and Patriots the year before that. 41 to 33. Then they had the Patriots and the Falcons 34 to 28. Uh, anyway, so, so, so historically you get you get some offense out of yeah. the Super Bowl, which like I say is surprising because usually you think of these teams as having pretty good defenses. But yeah, well they're they're crazy because you're talking about defense and obviously the Bucks the Bucks defense has been uh, touted as getting some of their mojo back, especially after the last couple of games they've run into Breeze and and Aaron Rodgers and and have stood the test um especially what they did to Rodgers last week 
um, holding him to so many three and outs. Um, so you, you think about it, but but honestly, the Chiefs' offense is just a completely different animal altogether. Because um, Aaron Rodgers by himself is is great, and their team they do have some good weapons and stuff, but um, I don't think well, it matches up directly to the to the, no. the amount of talent on the Chiefs. No, no, I, I, the ballpark is yeah, but I mean I, I, the Chiefs are number one uh, in my mind on on offense. You know, they kind of hit a pass, but you think about. When the Packers lose, uh, usually it's because they can't run the ball. And we knew Tampa Bay had the number one defense in the league. And they you know, they stopped them pretty well. They're not cold necessarily. But, of course, Aaron Jones getting knocked out of the game before halftime, I think, was a big factor. But they pretty much stopped the run and made him pass. And, yeah, surprisingly, they, they held, you know, fairly tough. They gave up some points, but, I mean, but the – you know, the problem is is that there's no team in the league, even Kansas City, there's no team in the league that's really a complete team. They have a great offense and a great defense. Yeah, you know? well, they're, well, there's certainly, you're not, I don't think you're finding it in the playoffs. I'm trying to picture teams in my mind that I think have it, but they just don't always get a good, they don't always get a good ride. I mean, the Saints have had it a little bit during parts of this season where they've had uh, spurts of both where their defense has become a little more competent. Um, but their offense took a weird dip uh, at times, and that might be something that's going through Breeze's head at the moment. But, yeah, it is hard to to fathom it because, you know, I, you worry about the Chiefs' defense because there are some very good, notable players on their defense. Um, and they're a pass-defense-first kind of group, which will work against Brady a little, but... Brady also has three, at least has three wide receiver weapons that you have to guard, possibly on the field at the same time. And you can't double all of them. And even when you do that, you've got tight end support and you've got running backs that he can count on a little more. Um, so it is interesting that both teams do come in with some with some relatively good promise of high-powered offense. I, I saw a simulation of the Super Bowl via Madden somebody did a a simulation trying to be as realistic as possible like they literally adjusted the rosters for who's supposed to be out at that time to try and make the rosters a little more realistic and they um the final score I think ended up being like 28 to 14 or something like that but but the Chiefs were ahead I think 21 nothing at at the half or something like that so and it, well, it's it's funny because I'm like I'm looking at it and I go like it's not impossible. No, not at all. Tampa Bay can win that game. Let me be clear. I mean, gosh, look how, how far they've come already. Well, the, well, the Chiefs. I was gonna say the Chiefs were ahead. Were the ones that were, they were the ones who won the game, right. twenty-eight fourteen, and then they were ahead so far at the half. But yeah, I mean, I I also totally see a scenario in which the Bucks end up slowing them down enough to win. But I worry about. The problem, the problem being that they faced the Packers, and the Packers aren't always a second quarter or second half team, and the Chiefs are definitely a second half team. Oh, absolutely. And then, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. The thing about, uh, like I say, Tampa Bay can win. I mean, they got tremendous offensive uh, players, both receivers and, and running backs, and of course the quarterback. But, but here's the thing: Kansas City's defense, although taken as a whole, it's just maybe a little better than the average. You know, maybe it's top fifteen, maybe. But 
Uh, they do one thing they do have is a tremendous pass defense. I think they're number one or number two on pass defense this year. So, you know how those receivers match up against that secondary, and then plus, depending uh, on consistent, but uh, a lot of times Kansas City's been having a pretty ferocious pass rush rush as well. And of course, Tom Brady's not really all that mobile. So, I, I just don't think that matchup is is real good for Tampa Bay. I wouldn't imagine, and usually what you're asking is probably on a on a regular scale, you're asking for a really good Bucks game, right? To happen, they need to. Everything needs to be on point, and even if they slip a little bit, even a not perfect Chiefs team should be able to pick up the slack. Yeah, Kansas City can make mistakes and still win, but Tampa Bay has to play a clean, pretty much perfect game. You know, no no interceptions, no fumbles and block punts and that kind of stuff. They gotta play pretty much a perfect game if they're gonna win. But they, they could win if they if they play pretty much perfect. Well, so okay, so we gotta come to this point and I feel bad obviously we didn't we had on my we had my grandpa on last year for this, but what's your final score for the Super Bowl? I think Kansas City will win, oh I would say uh I'll say it's thirty-one twenty-four. Hmm. Uh, I'm gonna have to think about that for just a minute. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna say that it ends up being a little closer because Tom Tom tries to get him in the ballpark. So I'm gonna say KC thirty-four bucks thirty-one. Okay. I'm gonna say they they put that they probably late in the game maybe Brady gets a chance to get him close but it won't be enough. Yeah, and you may be very well right because a lot of times you know, there's garbage time. Kansas City might be way up, and then they give them a touchdown or two at the end. So I, it wouldn't surprise me if it's within three points. But uh, I would say based which, on the which, merits. Which I basically just made a prediction and then 20 minutes ago told you that you should take the the point spread. Yeah, you, you were saying earlier that you're going to beat the or Kansas City was going to beat the point spread of three and a half. But Well, my mind my mind changed ver- voraciously in, in, in 20 minutes or so. <laughs> well, well, you could save yourself if you made it like 31-27. <laughs> well, does, does 34-28 work? Yeah, that, that works. Okay, I'll go with that. 24-38. That's, that's, or 34-28, sorry. 34-28. I, th- I, I think KC will get over 30. Oh, all right. Well, I said 31-24, so I think they'll get over 30 as well. Um, all right. Well, anyone who doesn't want to, well, no, you know, I do still have a national topic. So on Sunday on the NFL's, um, official YouTube, Twitter, and and associated, they're, they're doing a live broadcast of what's supposed to be the Pro Bowl. Um, but they're doing it in Madden. And what they're doing is they're having people from the AFC and the NFC, uh, come in and play five minute quarters against each other as as the Pro Bowl teams in Madden. And um normally it would be kind of like it'd be kind of goofy or something, but but I'm actually kind of interested to see how this plays out. Just because it's gonna be people going way more all out than a normal Pro Bowl would be. Wouldn't take much. No. Um but it's gonna feature uh, some very interesting characters because the AFC is going to have Deshaun Watson. Um, Snoop Dogg is going to be one of the players. I think that's just because he's well-known in the Madden circuit. Um, Derek Henry. Um, and I am completely blanking on the fourth person. 
I'm sure I wrote it down somewhere, but uh, unfortunately, I wrote it in a different notebook. Um, somebody. These are, people, these are people who are going to play the game. Are you saying? Yeah, they are going to play as the AFC. They're each going to play a quarter of the game. I mean, they have the controls. They're not yes. actually on the field. Yes, they are, they, they are. They are in charge of the controller. Um, and then the NFC is going to be Kyler Murray, um, Jamal Adams, Marshawn Lynch, and oh no, it's a really obvious name too. No, crud. I don't have it. Um, but basically, four people each side. They're gonna play the NFC and the AFC in a in a Madden version of the Pro Bowl, and I, and I'm kind of excited to see that pan out. I'm mainly trying to trying to use it as a way to interest the girls into watching because I know Ava likes gamers and stuff, and I thought maybe she'd like to see Bubba Wallace. Bubba Wallace, thank you. Do do we know who the AFC person is that I didn't list? Keyshawn Johnson. Thank you. There we go. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be fun. I guess they're going to, it'll be there. And then obviously it'll be on their channel after that, or you can watch it on TV on the NFL network. I think it's eight o'clock Eastern on the NFL network, but I know they do a lot of these things anyway, where they, they have celebrities play Madden against each other and stuff. And it's usually kind of funny because they'll show their reactions to them playing and they, and they do take it pretty seriously. I guess, yeah, I guess it's going to be 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 o'clock Central. Yeah, that's the YouTube one. Sorry, I should have put that one out there. Um, But yeah, no, I'm I'm really, I am kind of excited to see it. I'm I'm excited to see if I can bridge the gap between football and games for Ava, Um, my oldest, and see if she can kind of get interested in it as the, hey, look, it's like they're gamers, you know, because, you know, both of my kids have started watching YouTube gamers too, both of my older children. Um, so yeah, well, it can't be, it can't be any more boring than the regular one. I'll tell you that. Uh, that's for sure. They should really, uh, and I'm not alone. I see comments like this all the time, but I, they should really seriously think about canceling the Pro Bowl. It's just a, it's a ill concept. I mean, they definitely they should continue to name people to it. Cause yeah. I know obviously oh, it's yeah. an achievement or whatever, but honestly, yeah. I think they should just do this every year. Yeah, they should could. just get these people together and just play, play, play a game, or whatever. I think they they feel obligated, you know. Whenever somebody asks me, well, how come this happens? Why do they do this? How come this happens? You know, anywhere in the world, I always have the same answer. It's all about money, <laughs> and it's the same with the Pro Bowl. You know, between the TV and the, uh, you know, the audience there, and they promote you know the game around the world. It's all about money, so it's probably never going to end. But the game is really a joke. I haven't watched it in like years and years, maybe decades even. I haven't watched the game because it's a complete joke. Uh, I could understand. I I don't blame anybody. I don't blame the the athletes. They don't want to get injured. It's a game that doesn't count. I get it, but it, it gets to be kind of ridiculous. I mean, if a running back runs, they're few and far between. But if somebody runs. You'll see two or three defensive guys literally like lay a bed of roses down and try to gently lay them down on the ground rather than tackle them. Well, you know, know, nobody covers anybody. I mean, just it's like 52 to 47. I mean, it, well, realistically, honestly, I think the, the biggest attraction of it is usually is the skill games and stuff. I honestly still find those kind of things uh, interesting when they do. 
Pro Bowl weekend or Super Bowl weekend, they do skill competitions. Well, and maybe stuff. they do. The, maybe they should do the skill competitions. Maybe they could expand them, but do the skill competitions instead of the Pro Bowl. But yeah, because usually is, that's like you're not going to get hurt because they're not doing like extreme yeah. feats. It's just like oh, try and hit these targets with a pass or you know. Well, even if they want to do something like have a rate, have a hundred yard dash, see who's the fastest player in the NFL. Well, I know they did that for yeah. the. Uh, no, they they did like that. Who's the fastest man or whatever? I forgot who won that. Um, I know one of the Bears guys who's no longer in the NFL. I think was one of the finalists. Are you talking about like twenty five years ago? No, it was it was within the last five years. They did oh. a who's the quickest guy, and they won like a million dollars or something like that. No, I didn't know it was that kind of money. They could offer some money. Oh no, but it was it was a- something crazy. They can have a bunch of skills, though. I mean, expand it. Like, they have a hundred yard dash. You know, have a have a relay race. You have a jumping competition. You know, long jump or something. I, you know, I know they're the very notable are, for the quarterback competitions and stuff. Yeah, Those are the throw, ones you usually see. Yeah, not hitting targets or throwing through donuts or who can throw the farthest? Have them throw it down the field. Um, it doesn't have to be even quarterbacks. I've heard of uh, punters and. Place kickers and other position guys, receivers, they can throw the ball really far. Uh, you know, they do that in hockey, stuff like that. I'd like to see that. I, I, I'd, I'd go for a three-hour skills competition if they do it right rather than the game. Because, I, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. The, the game itself is a complete, utter waste of time. It makes no sense at all. I mean, it's just a bunch of guys moving around like a bunch of slugs out there, kind of haphazardly running around and... It's just a big mess. And I, at least I don't blame anybody. If I was an athlete, I wouldn't want to get hurt. But it, it's so much different. You say, well, how did how did this happen? But as I've told you, back in the 60s and 70s, I think even the 80s, I mean, it was a competitive game, you know, just like the other ones where you're talking about the NBA All-Star or, more, or the hockey. I mean, back in the 60s and 70s, I mean, those are competitive games. They were going all out. There was hitting. You know, there was pride on the line. But now... You know, there's just too much money involved. There's no way that either the teams they're on or the players want to risk injury. So I get that. So, but why bother having that game anymore? Yeah, no, it it, it makes sense. They have a skills competition. I agree. You have something. Yeah. Well, in I want. In fact, I think the way they had it before in the old days is I think this game was that off week. You know, before the Super Bowl. If you go back years ago. And they had people, you know, people who were playing in the Super Bowl would be in this game. So talk about nuts. <laughs> that was crazy. <laughs> um, Finally, they changed it to be, you know, at the end. Uh, maybe have it. Well, when it's what is it this week? This yeah, Sunday? I mean, now now it is. It still is before, but you never see anyone in I'm, the I'm Super sorry. Bowl join it. I'm sorry. I take that back. It used to be. I guess I'd have to look. Maybe it was a, I, I take that back. I think it was after the season was over. I think it was yeah, it was after the Super Bowl. I take back. It was after the Super Bowl, but they had people who played in the Super Bowl would be in the game. So I take that back. But but the point is, is that after you had the Super Bowl, what was nuts about it was you had the Super Bowl. That was the crescendo. That was the high point of the NFL year. And then a week later, you had this Pro Bowl, which was like dull as dishwater. After that, so that, that was what was stupid about it. All right, well, I feel like we're probably going to, this is where we, uh, if you're part of the national audience and you're not Bears-centric, then then, then this does not really uh, apply to you in any way, shape, or form. Um, before I get into too much analysis, I want to say that a lot of the stuff that I have, is cre- I should credit it to Harrison Graham of Bears Now. 
uh, it's a YouTube channel that I would recommend checking out if you need Bears news because they do have a lot of good updates um, and various information that you might not know offhand. Um, well, I want to get your opinion before I do too much uh, deep diving here. What do you think is the most likely scenario for the Bears next next year as far as the quarterback position is concerned? Well, if you believe anything that some of these uh, so-called experts are saying, it seems likely that they'll try to draft a quarterback. Uh, I'm not saying that's the only thing they'll do, but it seems like they might try to draft a quarterback. And I have to admit, I haven't really done a big scouting job on it, but you know they're going to have the number 20 pick in the draft there. So they might think, you know, if they get lucky, I guess two of the names I've heard, I don't know much about them off the top of my head. Some of the listeners might. But they're talking about maybe a Mac Jones or Kyle Trask, somebody like that. So those are definitely people I have on the list. I have I have Trey Lance on the list as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was interesting looking into like Kyle Trask because he's a little bigger. It kind of reminds me a little bit of a Josh Allen kind of person. Maybe not as dependent on the run, but someone who's mobile enough uh, with some size. Um. Mac Jones is kind of more of your typical pocket quarterback. Um, and then Trey Lance is kind of a Lamar Jackson-esque. It's a little more run design. Probably probably uh, the likes of a Deshaun Watson more. Not as flashy with the run, but someone who can take design run, but uh, still is able to sling the ball pretty far. Yeah, I just I just wasn't as close as I normally would be to a lot of the college football because it was a partial year for a lot of the teams. Well, to be COVID f- crisis, and I'm yeah. sorry, go ahead. Oh, to be fair, Trey, Trey Lance only played I think one game this year because they're yeah he's in North Dakota State, and I think they had most of their season just get shut down. Yeah, I mean there was just a lot of that going on, so I wasn't really following it as closely as I normally would. But the point I'm trying to make though is that the reason why I think it's a likely scenario if they're smart. It's a big F, by the way. But uh, the reason is is that in today's NFL, the quarterbacks that are established are making such an outrageous amount of money. And and I guess they're worth it, you know. You've you got to draft a quarterback. You know, you have to get them under that rookie contract where you get them down for four years or maybe a fifth-year option. And then it not only keeps your salary down, but it affords you to look at them, look at them for two, three years, see if they're going to become your franchise quarterback. You get rid of them if they're not, draft somebody else. Uh, or, or you know, you, you give them the big money. You give them the $30, 35000000 million a year and, and sign them. But the way it is now, you've got Foles and Trubisky. Now, Trubisky, I think. I was going to say, is, isn't, he, isn't he, they passed on his fifth-year option. Isn't, isn't he done? Yeah, I don't think Trubisky's going to be back, but Foles will, will be back. Yeah. Um, but the point is, I mean, Trubisky obviously could sign with the Bears as a free agent, but uh, the, the point is is that those guys are going to be after, they're not going to get it, all right, but those guys are going to be after big money if you continue to start them. You know? So you got to cut bait if, if they're not really your quarterback of the future. Now, if quarterbacks just simply aren't available, your hands are kind of tied. That's why it's nice to have a franchise quarterback signed. But, but as you were pointing out, there have been some quarterbacks that are, you know, second, third round or later. I mean, gosh, I, th- I think I want to say Tom Brady, I think, was a sixth-round pick. There's quarterbacks down there. smart. You know, you can get a budding star or somebody that everyone else has overlooked. And 
you know, you pointed out, uh, you know, Herbert, for example, uh, not, not that Herbert was necessarily overlooked, but he wasn't really, I don't think, talked about as, you know, a, a top pick. And I thought he had a great year this year, especially for first year. Yeah. Well, they... So I guess the main availabilities that you see is a, a lot of it falls under the trading prospect, and several of those prospects makes very little sense for them to do anything about it. Um, you have people like Matthew Stafford who are who are probably going to be out there, or you have Matt Ryan, who they keep talking about. And honestly, I think I think honestly, I think Matt Ryan is is only good in his system. Like I honestly believe that it'd be an absolute graveyard for him to come to Chicago. Um, Stafford, I'm not sure I feel the same way. I think Stafford could probably make a difference. Um, but obviously, when you're dealing with something like Stafford, you're dealing with the Lions, you're dealing with, uh, you know, interdivisional trading, which is not a not uncommon necessarily, but certainly often comes at a premium if you're as desperate as the Bears are. Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of quarterbacks. Uh, in fact, I've heard on the radio the other day they're talking about as many as 19 or 20 teams might change their starting quarterback next year. So there's going to be a big carousel going on. And some of the names have been around a while. Cam Newton, Jameis Winston, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Andy Dalton, all these guys you know, are going to be free agents. But the biggest name out there, you know what the biggest name out there is? Is a free agent quarterback right now by a long shot? Not a clue. Dak Prescott. Actually, yeah, that was an, that was another name on my list. I, I didn't. I, I was very confused with the details of his of his contract right now. But obviously, there's a good chance that they're just going to tag him. Yeah, he's going to get a franchise tag without a doubt uh, if he doesn't sign. So, I th- but technically, right now he's a free agent. Yeah, and I, uh, I, w- I would definitely take him if they end up letting him go. Yeah, I, my point was is that those other guys I named, Cam and Dalton, all those guys, I don't think they're going to make much of a difference on the Bears, and a lot of them have been around for a long time. But something like, you need a difference maker, and only somebody like a Dak Prescott, uh, and obviously we talk about Deshaun Watson, he's a big difference maker. Yeah, it would have to be somebody gigantic like that. Uh, otherwise, if they sign like an Andy Dalton or Fitzpatrick, it's only to give Foles some, a backup, a relatively cheap backup. Ryan, Ryan Fitzpatrick wouldn't make me too angry. I know he's not a franchise quarterback, but I think he's uh, for what he is or what he costs. I imagine he's he's a he's a pretty decent placeholder. If you get you know, if Foles were to go wrong or in hell, I, I think he could even compete for it. Probably. Um, I don't know who that I don't know who that shows worse on, but I assume it shows worse on Foles. <laughs> I assume it's worse on Foles because Fitzpatrick's so much older, and you know, Foles is supposed to be a Super Bowl quarterback. And honestly, I would take Fitzpatrick over him. I think I probably would too, other than maybe the age, you know, or the long term. But for one year, yeah, I would take Fitzpatrick. But the thing is, you, the Bears are gonna have to decide that. Foles is not the quarterback of the future. I mean, that's the only conclusion I think you can arrive at. He had, you know, that one really good season where he had, I don't know, 27 touchdowns and two interceptions. And then he played sensational in that one game in the Super Bowl. He's had a couple of highlights, but, you know, he's got a large body of work now, and most of it's not good. Yeah. So 
Well, well, the other the other name on that list is Jimmy Garoppolo because the 49ers seem to be shopping out a little bit. Um, yeah, you talk about Deshaun Watson, the 49ers would be a heck of a lot better target for him to land in than the Bears. Well, they will. A lot of jokes have been going around, even that you know when they're talking about the uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers squabble. Um, I know as Bears fans, we're kind of just like, dude, give him everything, you know, build a Taj Mahal and a monument for Aaron Rodgers somewhere to to get him to come to Chicago, you know. But but the reality is, I think if if any team could lure him away, it might be the Forty ers just just no, because he, just be just because of what San Francisco means no, to Rodgers as a person, but yeah, but you know what though, this may sound kind of goofy, but you want to know something. I mean, no. trust me, I know that he's he's a legend in Green Bay, and he doesn't want to walk out of there the same way Brett Favre did. Well, that's that's certainly true. But the point I was going to make is that he's already said that he doesn't want to go to San Francisco, and it's kind of for a silly reason. But the reason is is that when he came. Into the draft when he graduated and came into the draft. Oh, they passed on he, him, didn't they? Yeah, the 49ers had the first pick of the draft and they picked Smith, you know, the quarterback instead of him. And he was really ticked off. I think he, I think he ended up being the 25th pick or something like that, lower down the first round by the Packers. But he was really upset. Yeah. Uh, Rodgers. They picked Alex Smith with the first overall pick in the draft and Aaron Rodgers goes, you know, 24 picks later. There's something, this is like a, like a twilight zone or something. It's something crazy going on. Well, they certainly have no, <laughs> no one apparently was aware of the amount of spite and malice in uh, available in, in Aaron Rodgers' heart. Because uh, that, well, yeah, that, 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 that is not a dude who likes to be scorned. Well, you know, you'd mentioned a while back that uh, he refused to train his potential replacement quarterback help him out at all i mean who does that well to be fair far of kind of far of kind of shouldered kind of brushed him off his shoulder well you got to be bigger than that though. well you'd imagine i think the problem was they didn't bring him in at the right time i think them bringing in love was at a time when rogers was thinking okay give me some weapons i don't have a lot of time left i've got enough time where i've got a couple years but this year we were just in the championship game. Get me a couple more weapons, and the first thing you do is draft a quarterback. And not even draft him later in the draft or whatever. It's something you use your first round pick on. And so for him, I, I imagine that's a pretty it's pretty insulting. Yeah, but I, I don't agree with what the Packers did. I I think the timing was bad. But I would not have done that if I was the GM. But as a teammate, you know, you can't just give a guy a cold shoulder like that and just, you know, he's just stayed outright that you're not going to help somebody. Well, to be fair, whether he wants to or not, the reality is you can learn plenty from them just by being there, um, which I would, I would, I would hope for Jordan Love's sake, because there might not be that many years left before he has to prove himself, but I'm, but I'm hoping he's following Rogers around with a recorder and just taking notes constantly. Yeah, if he's if he's smart, that's what he's doing. So I, I think with the Bears, it definitely uh, nothing's definite with these characters. But uh, I think they're going to draft a quarterback. And if all the decent quarterbacks are gone, then uh, I think I think they're going to try to sign somebody in free agency. They're they're inquiring about Watson and so forth. But 
I, I think they're going to wind up, you know, fighting for scraps because they got nothing to give up. Well, I mean, you always say that, but you, there's always picks. There's always some picks, and there's always a tiny amount of assets that you might be willing to part with. Um, so since you went since since you went that way, I want to talk about Deshaun Watson because they've really tried to break down that trade a lot because of its of the intricacy of uh, what you might have to give up. Um, if I had to ask you how many first round picks you'd be willing to give up to have Deshaun Watson, what would that number be? Well, assuming I could get him in under the salary cap, I would probably, I would probably give up like two first round picks and maybe, you know, Foles or Trubisky or somebody like that. I don't think they'd want either one, but. Well, no. Well, what I've heard is that a lot of people feel a little more strongly about it. And some trades I've I've heard they, it's three first or a first or two first, a a second and a third. Um, Mm. And then some of, some of them are like two firsts, a second, and a, and somebody. Although, um, a joking scenario for one of them was three first rounders, and you'd give them Khalil Mack for T.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson. Well, I think T.J. Watt is kind of on the bottom side of his career now, isn't well, it? Say, well, I'd say that, but every once in a while they start talking about how, what if you had to give up one defensive player and a couple first-rounders for Watson? Would you be willing to do it? Well, I wouldn't give up three first-rounders, I'll tell you that. Because well, let's say it was two, and let's say it was a defensive player, someone to the likes of a Fuller or a Mack. Hmm. Well... Because that, that, that becomes a thing, because, you know, like uh, you've said before, there's only, you know, in history, I mean, not like earlier today, but, you know, there's only one ball. And the reality is, you know, if you have to give up one defensive player for a franchise quarterback. I wish I could give him Robert Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they were talking about, you were talking about the salary cap, you know, getting him in under the salary cap. And they were talking about potential cuts. Well, again, this is. Bears now. This is from. Um, you already said his name, uh, Harrison Graham. They were talking about shedding cap space. Um, and they were talking about people like Jimmy Graham, Charles Leno, Bobby Massey, Kyle Fuller, uh, Akeem Hicks, Buster Screen, people like that. Uh, not like all at the same time, obviously, but just just places where you could make a cut or two. And you could save money even with the dead cap. You could you could save well, insane amounts of money. Well, yeah, and like I said, the Bears are 104 percent over the cap. You know, the cap is 182 million dollars this past year, and uh, the Bears are at 190 million 685,000. So here's here's the thing. Yeah, Khalil Mack, he's a great player. You know, it's nice to have him, but his cap hit. Is twenty six point six million dollars. It's a staggering amount. That becomes so, the other thing where you say, "Do you want to?" You know, I say, "Well, what if Max in the involved in the trade?" Well, maybe that's not such a bad thing for this for the salary cap of the team. I can't yeah. imagine that his dead room is that's makes up most of it, that. I think it's something you'd have to consider. Yeah, I mean, I know people think I'm crazy, but you have to think about salary cap in this day and age because as i said last podcast the big thing for a gm these days is not just to pick good talent but how do you make a roster and stay under that salary cap that's hard to do in today's nfl 
Well, they were saying literally, literally cutting Akeem Hicks gets you about ten and a half million dollars back. Yeah, but you know what though? Here's the thing. Now, granted, they also they also mentioned that he, I mean he is like the heart and soul of the defense. Yeah. You so, know, I, so that's not I one would, necessarily, but the tackles, the offensive tackles get you some good money back well, as well. Yeah, I, I, the offensive tackles don't bother me quite as much, but or to Kyle me, as, as big a name as Khalil Mack is, it's very apparent from how the defense plays when these guys have been injured and out of the game that Akeem Hicks is the most valuable guy in the whole defense. When he's there, you know, that's it. There's no running. The pass rush has dramatically improved. You know, he may not necessarily get the sack, but they got to put two or three guys in him. Well, and you say when he's there, I, I, I guess I don't know what, how much injuries have held him back. Well, I know this year was kind of was kind of rough, but. Well, yeah, no, I mean he he's had both last year and this past year he's had injuries where he's missed games, and all of a sudden the defense went to hell. But if he's never playing, I, I don't want him taking all the salary hits. Well, no, but I mean if you look at his history, I mean he's. Not like he's injury prone. I mean, no more so than Khalil Mack. But it's just that as great a player as Mack is, and I love to have him on the team. But my, my goodness, a twenty-six point six million dollar cap hit. Yeah, you'd have to think about you know shedding that salary, even though you know you'd, you'd really miss him. Well, I think Jimmy Jimmy G would be an interesting is an interesting nope. pickup. Nobody but. would take him though. Nobody would take him. He's got ten million dollar cap hit. Nobody would take him off your hands if they were stupid for signing him to begin with. Especially if they signed, they just you know oh. drafted a see, tight end. See, I realize this was super confusing because when I was trying to do my research, I'm looking at the quarterback Jimmy G and also the tight end on the Bears, Jimmy G. So, um, so so they really put a, a bit of a knot in my research as I'm constantly <laughs> noting Jimmy G and having to remember that I should that I have to write Garoppolo out. Um. He's probably a low cost, lower cost option, but I think I think Watson is at least still in contract for about two years, and it's about ten, ten, ten and a half million a year, or something like that. So you don't have to shed miles of cap space. It's not like he's a, necessarily going to be getting thirty million right now, but yeah, but you'd almost have to make a deal contingent on being able to sign him to an extension if he only has two years left. Well, yeah, especially you're talking about giving up maybe two, two first round draft picks. See, I think when they when they uh, traded for Mac, I don't think the deal was final until they. I think he signed like a six year deal with the Bears for some astronomical amount of money. So you're not going to trade for a guy unless you can sign him to, you know, four year extension or five year extension or something. Well, you would, but maybe you'd kind of structure it in a way. However, however 40, you have to. Yeah, but he's going to want forty million a year. Yeah, that's and that's probably what he would get if he goes to the Jets or he goes some other place. That's probably what he would get. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what else he's gonna get if he goes to the Jets. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's not gonna be pretty. I know he's Deshaun Watson and everything, but 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 it's still the Jets. Now, if I were him, I would want to go to San Francisco. I would. Miami. I would like that. I would like Miami too. Miami's, Miami, Miami's got Miami a lot of room. Be, yeah, Miami would be fine. Either one of those two would be great because you'd have a competitive team right away, good defense, you know, some offensive weapons, more so on San Francisco than Miami, but you'd have some offensive weapons. You know, they've got Garoppolo over there, which they would give up, you know, to uh, to Houston in the trade, along with draft picks and so forth. So that's to me, it would make perfect sense, uh, yeah. a trade like that. Well, it's just a shame because you you look at everything and you start to think to yourself, I mean, is there any way 
you know, any way, shape, or form, this this kind of works out for the Bears. And the only thing, I, the only thing I would say that makes I I also believe that the I, I want the Deshaun one to happen so bad. But what I do believe is I believe the the draft is going to be like you said. I think the draft is going to be where they come from. But one of the things that that I thought was funny was that was a question posed. Um, if you draft a young quarterback and he plays well, is it possible that he is being drafted in the hopes that maybe it saves Nagy and Pace's jobs as developed mentors for that quarterback? Just because of the fear that if he plays well, like you're banking on him playing well, but if he plays really well and you cut the coach and you cut the GM you know, you might, you might lose your asset, you know, cause he might have a mental shift or, you know, or something might happen to him. Well, that's certainly a possibility. I think that's a good point. Uh, you know, conversely, you could also argue that, um, that's why they might want to sign a Deshaun Watson or, or sign a, a bigger name free agent as quarterback because they want somebody who's going to play well right away. Someone's going to make a big splash yeah. right away. They they got to win games now, you know. In, yeah. in the twenty twenty one season, they got to win games now to save their job. Well, and I guess the 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 up and well, they're both upsides. I guess there's a win win for the Bears in that one. But if they rush out and they were to get to Sean and throw the assets out there, even if it went poorly and they and they lost their job, you know, it's it's no skin off their nose. <laughs> you know, it's no longer their responsibility. Yeah, I like I say, uh, right now, all avenues are open. Uh, I'd love to see him get to Sean Watson. But you just can't give away the whole story either. You know, I, I felt like they gave away an awful lot for Khalil Mack. You know, I was glad they got him. But my goodness, you know, that you give up two first-round draft picks, uh, we were hurting. You know, we, there were some good players out there we could have got, but we couldn't because we didn't have our first-round draft pick for two years in a row. Yeah, And then, then you got a $26.6 million cap hit. So now there's other players maybe you'd want to trade for, and you can't do it because you're going to be over the salary cap. I mean, it, it cost a lot. Of course, Kyle Fuller, that was an absurd deal. You know, he's got a $20 million cap hit. And, you know, he's, he's okay. You know, he's good, but he's just, like, better than average. He's not like a game changer or anything. I mean, you can't be doling out these enormous salaries just for guys who are, you know, good, just a little bit better than average. Well, and they were talking about trading him – Kyle Fuller ends up getting you net of the dead space. It ends up getting you between nine and fourteen million dollars back on the cap, depending on once when again, depending on when you cut him. Right, but once again, I just don't see anybody taking him off your hands. I'd imagine, but I have to imagine somebody would, just because he's or you put him in the deal with Deshaun. Right, but I'm just saying, even in a deal, I mean. If I've got Deshaun Watson, I'm not trading him to a team if I got to take Kyle Fuller and you know back with his twenty million dollar camp hit. Well, yeah, and then that becomes the pain is he it's involving him in that. I mean, that's just a I'll give you this really good player, but you're also gonna have to give him a ton of draft picks on top of it so they can fully rebuild. But I look at I look at the quarterback class and I know it's kinda of slim, but you're hoping that by the twentieth pick there's still somebody out there. Um I really liked, um, I thought Mac Jones had absolutely insane accuracy. I, I decided to watch some film on all three of them. Um, 
And I thought Mac Jones, Mac Jones was extremely impressive. I mean, the Bears, the Bears, I think, are one of the only teams in the league that have n- never had a 4,000-yard passer, <laughs> yeah. I believe, is the that's, statistic. That's I think they're the only team. I think that's probably true. Um, now, granted, partially also because they're typically a run-first kind of team and kind of dink and dunk sort of, you know, I don't know. They've never really been a, an air show, but... Uh, Mac Jones had forty-five over forty-five hundred yards passing this year, and it was four, forty-one touchdowns and four picks. And I know it's Alabama, but you're playing teams that that shouldn't happen to. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, and he those... and, and he has, and he's typically only doing it with one target. I mean, the the quarterbacks of the past in Alabama, they they had two to three first round pick wide receivers before you know and he's operating with I me mean, not no names but you know people i've never heard of yeah they do play some good teams over there uh, in alabama so you know it's probably legit so those are pretty you know those are pretty eye-popping numbers you'd have to take them seriously uh in the first round if he's still available yeah so i mean the accuracy's up i know it's uh the one thing that always scares me about quarterbacks now is you see some of these people and he's not as big as the other two um, but he still looks like he can really air it out if you if you need him to. And God, I miss those first round picks because God, it would have been so nice to have Justin Herbert. Um, because that 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 guy can sling, but um, but Mac Jones looks like he can sling. I mean, all three of those guys looked like that they could easily put fifty, sixty yards under the ball, no issue. Um. Yeah, the key though to quarterback is the quarterback's a little different than most of these other positions though. Is that certainly physical attributes are nice, but the key for a quarterback is the mental game. Yeah, you know you got to really be cool under pressure and be able to make read, you know, read defenses, make quick and firm decisions, as well as be accurate and have some zip on the ball. Maybe be able to move a little bit in the pocket and so forth. But the the mental game is is critical because. Uh, you know, I mean, that's what happened with Joe Montana. You know, when Joe Montana came out of Notre Dame, I mean, he had all kinds of platitudes. He won a national championship and won a whole bunch of games. But he didn't go until the third round. And the reason is they just didn't think that his physical attributes were that great. You know, couldn't throw all that fire or that hard or anything. But he was, he was the king of the mental game, just totally cool under pressure, extremely accurate, total confidence inspired people around him, you know, true field general. And, of course, I won four Super Bowls in the Hall of Fame. You know, Bears could have had him, but as I pointed out many times in the past, that uh, we didn't need him. No, we had Bob Avellini. <laughs> well, that's, and I guess that's one of the scary things for people uh, right now is uh, it's it would appear at this point that there's not going to be a traditional combine. Um, so people are starting to get a little antsy as to what kind of breakdown and analysis you're really you're going to get for some people some people like Trey Lance and stuff who didn't even play this year uh for much and you got Mac Jones who has a body of work and and I think Kyle Trask does too um because I believe Florida played uh you know a good amount of games um but it's going to be interesting to see how they are able to analyze that. I mean, obviously, still they they work on like Wonderlic scores and stuff like that. Um, 
you can still hand those out and still try and gauge people's mental status and they've watched far more film than I've ever watched so realistically I'm sure that they they know much more about it than we would think they do well like I say analytics are, are very important but they're really not the only thing you know well, there's so many players that have excelled and even made the Hall of Fame and their analytics would not impress anybody well but you but I would but I would imagine Joe Montana is smart I would imagine that he passes general intelligence stuff better than Brett Favre does yeah, or probably no better idea. than other people. I I remember I watched a thing recently on Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers has a, had a pretty good um, Wonderlick score and they do it. They give it to like all the quarterbacks and apparently like uh, Favre and whoever the other quarterback was at the time were giving him a lot of crap for it. Um, we're just giving him a lot of crap in general, just because I'm sure he's kind of more soft-spoken, especially back in the day. And they're giving him all this crap. And I guess Aaron Rodgers decided to to shoot back. And he goes, you know, what was your Wonderlick score? And Favre is like, oh, I don't, I don't know that. And he goes, I do. I looked it up. You got a 22. And it's like, there's only 50 questions. And it was about 10 points lower than Rodgers. <laughs> you know well there's a difference too in, in overall intelligence and football intelligence i mean there's players that maybe would have a hard time getting a very high score on a regular iq test for example or maybe even a wonder but they have tremendous football sense so oh yeah it's not, it's not always a direct correlation i think i think that one's fairly accurate that comparison between the two of them is well maybe. i think it yeah. predicted that one pretty well maybe yeah maybe yeah, part of it too is developing because Aaron Rodgers had a good body of work, but you got to remember he he spent three years sitting on the bench. Yeah, and when they did bring him in, which was rare, they brought him in for a game or two, you know, each year I think. And I think the first two times they brought him into the game at the end of the year, he got season-ending injuries, <laughs> so you didn't see much of him. But it really did not impress at all. I mean, not really so much negatively, but not not a whole lot of positive work. But somehow they were able to develop him, the Packers coaches in that. And, you know, in that fourth year, he was he was pretty much a star in the making uh, right off the bat, hit the ground running. You know, can the Bears staff do that? I, I think it's highly questionable. They, they haven't done it with their quarterbacks, you know, ever. Well, that's what, <laughs> well, that's what, history. Well, that's what made me kind of upset about, like, the Herbert kind of thing because it felt like he kind of came in and really after nothing. I, their play calling schemes aren't really all that great, and they've got some good skilled position players, but so do the Bears. But, um, but he just kind of came in, and you know, first game after sitting behind what, what is it, Tyrod Taylor? I mean, for maybe a couple games. I mean, he came in and he's you know throwing over three hundred yards a game and just really leading, just taking charge. You know the. Balls in my hands, I'm gonna get us there, kind of well, thing. I, I, I think he even surprised the Chargers, frankly, because yeah. uh, I mean he would not have started any games if if Taylor hadn't got injured. You know, he got injured and they had to leave the game, and that's the only reason they brought him in. And then I think even they were like taken aback by what Herbert was doing. Oh, yeah, I mean, it literally was the same game. I mean, he just came in and just went nuts. Um, I guess the last question I want to ask is if you. 
if you either want to give someone like a Mac Jones or whoever they would pick up in a draft or you want to entice Deshaun Watson or a high-end free agent to you know to want to dip their toes into the Chicago curse um I imagine one of the first things you got to do is you got you got to re-sign Robinson I would think that'd be a top priority. I mean, he basically was most of the passing game these past couple of years and more or less kind of proved that he is a, a very good receiver. But now, once again, you're talking about someone who's going to command an astronomical amount of money. I think his old contract was, what, $16 million a year or something like that? He's not listed here on the sport track salary, but I think it was like $16 million a year or so. Well, he's going he's to want more than that. I don't know that you can afford that, especially with the salary cap. Yeah, no, it's um, it's scary. So, I mean, he signed, once he had signed a three-year, $42 million contract, $6 million signing bonus, 25.2 guaranteed, average annual salary of fourteen four. All right, so fourteen four a year. Well, um, anyway, he's gonna want. We're averaging out. 16. It might it might have been higher in the at the end, and he'll want to go by those numbers. Yeah, that's what they always do. So I mean, he's gonna want who knows seventeen eighteen million a year at least. So you're definitely gonna have to clear at least a little bit of room, either with your, you know, cutting players or not signing certain players and getting cheaper options. But there are definitely people on that team. I know Buster Screen's one of them who's who's gonna get. He's probably going to get cut. Um, I just, I feel like to manage, and I'm not a GM, I give you that, but I think that from everything I've seen of all these different teams and how they've been doing, you, you got to make some really tough decisions as a GM, and you have to decide that regardless of what the so-called market rate is, you have got to identify players who are true difference makers. Even Allen Robinson, let's say Allen Robinson won't sign for less than $17 million a year. I don't know that you sign him. You know, he's a good player, but that's going to suck up, you know, 10% of your cap or say 9% of your cap. I mean, I don't know that you can that you can afford it given all the other positions you have to sign. Now, somebody like, you know, Watson or Mahomes or uh, on the receiver side, uh, you know, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, yeah, those guys, yeah, you, you pay $20 million a year. But those guys are much more worth twenty million a year than Allen Robinson's worth seventeen million a year or eighteen million a year, as far as you know the difference that they provide. Well, and I would say you look at teams like I look at the Browns, you know, and they lost. I mean, yes, they had Landry and and Odell, but even when they don't have Odell, they're operating with some very low end names. Um. And until he had made a couple good catches, no one had ever heard of Donovan Peoples-Jones. And I can't imagine he's making very much. But these people are capable, or are Richard Higgins, or and anything like that. I mean, some of these people who really have really shown up. Uh, and the wide receiver pool is... I mean, Allen Robinson has done some things that are pretty miraculous, but there are other receivers who could play the game a little differently and show off different talents. And um, and realistically, I mean, the wide receiver pool is one of the widest pools I could think of. Widest. Like, I can't say that without making it sound bad. Widest. Um, but it's, 
it's definitely one of those things where I think about my freshman year in high school and when you were talking about position players and where people played position, basically every kid who was not big enough to be a lineman and had any kind of speed whatsoever, the wide receiver pool on the B team was huge. You know, as opposed to like the quarterbacks where there's three on each team or running backs where there's three on each team, you know, and I was on the A team and was one of the three running backs on that team. But the wide receiver pool is, you know, 30 people. You know, and and the reality is, that you know, are some wide receivers irreplaceable? Yeah. Yeah, some are. But there are a whole lot of people waiting out there. To, to try and replace them that that do well, have that do have a pretty reasonable amount of skill and won't ask well, for 18 20 million a year right and that's that's exactly what I'm trying to say is when I talk about a difference maker you know if if uh, Tyree kill were to leave Kansas City who's going to replace him yeah no that Good would luck. yeah or Devonte Adams for example I used even, to believe well even Devonte Adams I think Devonte Adams in a and uh, Alan Robinson are very are very closely linked, I think. Oh, I, I think Adams is way better than. Oh, well, I think it, well, I think if you put Alan Robinson in his position in Green Bay, it would it would look somewhat similar. I think, I think that Devonte Adams is just a little stronger than Robinson is, but Robinson still has a lot of the hands and route running and just physical dominance to get the ball. Well, Robinson would do a heck of a lot better in the Packers than here. Who wouldn't? But yeah, yeah he's still a Devontae Adams. I, I still would give him. I, these are just names that came off the top of my head, but I still think yeah. he's quite a bit better. Now, granted, if Allen Robinson leaves the Bears, I mean, what do you got left? I mean, maybe, like you said, maybe a draft a wide receiver. Yeah. You well, you've got it. Well, you've got Miller. You've got Mooney that you're still working on. Um, like yeah, like you just said, you try and draft. Maybe try and see if you can find. Honestly, you just you really need a big guy. You need someone a little bigger that can play the possession game because they, they like... I remember the year they went to the playoffs and lost to the Eagles. I remember in that season, they played so much possession ball where they kept trying to throw deep balls and, and make the guy go up to get it. And the guy who was going up to get it was Taylor Gabriel. And I'm like, I don't know why you thought that was what he does he's like not six feet tall and you're throwing jump balls to him you know hmm. as opposed to like you know if you went out and got someone who's six four six five and you want to throw it deep and just make them go up and get it or something I, I just everything pains me so hard when you think about how many people the bears have been passed on well you need your mike evans you know to your point yeah or like a even a even a DK Metcalf or something, just someone who's a little more possession, a little more someone who's just a more physical uh, player. And I think that's when you talk about the difference between Devonte Adams just in in Robinson. That that's the difference. Is he's just, I think he's athletically just a stronger person, and a little in a little more, um, be a little more exuberant. I don't know what the what their age difference is, but. I don't know if Robinson's just been in the league a little longer or maybe he's trying to nurse some injuries or something, but he doesn't look as enthusiastic 
as Devontae Adams does. Well, but, he's, but, had, he's had a lot of serious injuries. But he's not made necessarily with the Bears, but he's had some really yeah. serious injuries in the past. But he's made but but I will to his credit, I mean he's made some pretty unbelievable catches the last few years. Oh, he's played well. Like I say, he's a good player. No one should misconstrue what I'm saying. I'm I'm just saying when you talk about that that so called market value of starting wide receivers, you know, if you're a GM in this day and age you, you got to make some tough decisions about who's truly a difference maker. That's all I'm saying. If you're going to pay 17 million bucks or 18 million bucks, you have to determine that he's a difference maker, and you and you've got to you've got to yeah. work to develop that. Well, I think you need someone like him, or you need you need him, or you need somebody like him to entice someone, or you need more weapons around to in to to grow someone like a a Mac Jones. Because I know what their main thing is is. Whoever you you draft, you're probably thinking they're going to start at some point next year. Because if you let Trubisky go and you have Foles start and it goes bad, you need to pull him out. And and you're hoping that realistically whoever you got, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll have a Justin Herbert moment. And they'll just start to kind of pull themselves off the ground and they'll they'll do things their own way and just take charge of the situation, but, but Nagy also has to take the restraints off and just kind of play the free flow that he likes to do. Cause he gets players that can, that can do certain free free flowing actions. And obviously he doesn't have like Tyree kill or, or a McCole Hardman or anything to, you know, p- people who are, you know, probably the fastest people in the NFL uh, to run some of his crazier schemes, but he gets people who are pretty physical, physically capable, but they don't, always use them as uh, as openly as I wish they would. And occasionally they wait till late in the games and then they find out they should have been doing it differently the whole time. And, um, and it's just, it's going to be interesting to see what they do going forward. I mean, I know both of him and Pace are on the hot seat. So you're hoping that they're, they're planning something big, whether it's developing somebody new or, or throwing the house at a, at a very good veteran that'll, turn things around oh yeah they definitely know their jobs are on the line you're right about that the only thing i would say uh, about the the drafting of the quarterback is, is that's why i think they got to look at the first round if they if one of the top three guys you were talking about are available they gotta seriously think about it because other than trubisky which was a horrendous mistake if you look at the bears over the decades when they draft a quarterback they have the wrong philosophy they try to get a guy like in the fifth or sixth round and then they put him on the practice side. You know, and then to your point, the backup quarterback normally is some veteran who's kind of a proven failure. And then you got nobody behind the starter. You know, that was what was happening in all those years when Jay Cutler was here, for example. You had nobody behind the starter, really. So to your point, yeah, I agree. You know, you got to have a philosophy where you're going to draft somebody in the first round or maybe the second round, somebody who you really legitimately think can start in this league. And I, then you'd be ready. I'm wondering... Uh, my dream, my dream is that they, um, they grab Fitzpatrick, and then they draft somebody, and Fitzpatrick kind of mentors them a little bit. Even if you get a year of Fitzpatrick or something, or gives some games to him, and then you trade the reins if it's not going well, it, it I think he's an interesting person to learn from. Um, 
Because certainly some of the beginning things, when Tua came in, Tua looked like he was trying to take some pages out of Fitzpatrick's book. And obviously Fitzpatrick was having a lot of success in, in Miami. Um, and he's had spurts of success in other places, but but Miami has been pretty good to Fitzpatrick. Um, plus, honestly, my thought is you get Fitzpatrick for, for next to nothing. And... And then you draft, and obviously you get him for next to nothing. So you you really change up the squad, put him under somebody who's a good tutor. And then, and Ryan Fitzpatrick seems like he likes doing that. I mean, he knows who he is. He knows what, he knows what he's being brought in for, you know, and, and he usually well, seems. As long as he accepts it. You know, yeah, and it seems like he generally tends to. Would with Fitzpatrick accept being a backup behind Foles, for example? Well, what I think would happen is he would come in as a backup behind Foles, and he wouldn't be a backup for very long. I think uh, the the progression but, but, but would the progression would go Foles him, and then would be this other person. And my prayer is that eventually you would just Foles would sit if it was bad enough, and then you just cut him next year, or something, or you you part ways, but. Um, I don't know if Fitzpatrick has a lot of options right now. You'd have to see how that market pans out. But if Miami doesn't want to go with them or they win the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, they're going to have Deshaun and Tua, and I'm not a thousand percent sure they would let him play anyway. Well, I'm saying that two things. One is Fitzpatrick seemed awfully upset. Well, that's because well, he, you know. he got sad, you know, and Tua came in. And second of all, the expectation of if he's going to start or not with the Bears, for example, is going to really have a huge impact on his salary that he wants. Well, and realistically, I think maybe the expectation would be that he's going to come in and mentor, and whether that's to help Foles or to help the newer draft pick, and and I still would put him ahead of the new draft pick in the in the depth chart, um, possibly even compete with Foles uh, to some extent. Um. But, but I think his main thing about Tua that kind of sucked was it made no sense. If he's getting traded and he knows what his role is and stuff, I mean, if you're the Bears and he's rolling and he's winning games, you'd never pull him. The Bears would know way better than that. You, you don't do that. You don't take somebody out when they're rolling. And the, and the reality was they just somebody felt forced to put Tua in and they and they went with it. If the Bears drafted Mac Jones... And he was sitting behind and, and learning and doing all that. And Foles came in, started a game or two, was terrible. And they put Fitzpatrick in and Fitzpatrick started winning games. Fitzpatrick would be in there until they competently thought he wasn't going to be able to run it anymore. And right, but what about but the thing is, is that will Fitzpatrick would even consider signing with the Bears without knowing if he's going to be able to get into the game? And then two, is that... What kind of money is he going to want? There's a big difference. If you can get Fitzpatrick for $5 million for a one-year deal, it's a no-brainer. But if he wants, you know, $15 million, yeah, $12 million, I mean, then you have to kind of say, well, I don't know, maybe just draft a quarterback. Well, and that's fine. I, my, my, my premise is only operating on my personal financial range, which is sitting more around, like you said, like the $5 million range, and it's um, – it's just a journeyman kind of role, and he, I would say he's above whatever the rookie that comes in is or any other backups the Bears might pile up between now and then. He might be technically behind Foles at the start, but in training camp, I would be very clear that 
the role of starter is 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 up for grabs a little bit. Foles will probably end up starting the season anyway, but but realistically that you know Foles needs to understand that his his ass is getting warm. You know, the, the, <laughs> well, the, this the seat is heating up. You know, well that's for sure. But you know, you look at Foles. You know, he signed a three year deal for twenty four million, so he's averaging about eight million a year. And his deal goes through twenty twenty two. So you know, you're stuck with him for the next two years. I mean, you could always cut him, but you still have to pay him. Uh, I think maybe you can get out of a four million dollar roster bonus. I think that's the only part that. Uh, well, it just says twenty one million out of twenty four million is guaranteed. So you're going to pay him twenty one million no matter what. But the problem is that you know if he starts for the Bears, yeah, eight million years is nothing in this day and age for a starting quarterback. But the problem is if he isn't any, if he isn't any good, yeah, and it's a waste <laughs> of eight million dollars. <laughs> yeah, the um, I thought it was uh, it's interesting when you, when you talk about like how much guaranteed money he got out of the deal, and uh. Man, Nick Foles is uh he's he's only second to Sam Bradford in terms of stealing money from people. <laughs> what was that? Sam, Sam Bradford, the number is terrifying. I I forgot what that number was, how much money he's made. Uh compared to what you what you know Sam Bradford's career has been. Um it's it's hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean well, obviously I obviously he also came from a time when the rookie deal was you know, right, was was right. much higher, but but he still just how much he made versus how little playing time anybody actually got out of him. Well, of course, in his case, it was mainly because of injuries. You know, he when he was playing, he was only kind of mediocre. But but yeah, you're right about those two and Foles. He's had some injuries, but but it shows you how much you know you can write out a career by by having a, a great year and winning a Super Bowl. Uh, it really can carry a long way and. Because he's gotten some some pretty good contracts since then uh, from yeah. Jacksonville first the Eagles then Jacksonville the Bears. Well, he well Amber, he was well it was the Eagles then it was the Rams. Yeah, the Rams. Then it was yeah. the Eagles again, and and then and then the Jags and I guess all you have to do is get hurt while throwing a touchdown pass and everyone goes, but Foles Amber, he won the Super Bowl. He didn't get a chance in Jacksonville. Maybe we can swoop him up. And I'm sitting here like. Maybe not for twenty-one million guaranteed, just in case. Just in case you you sit him for well, like Mr. Trubisky. If, if, if he worked out, you know, if he you know he didn't have to be, you know, Mahomes or Watson, but if he worked halfway decent, I mean, eight million a year is is a good deal, you yeah. know, for the Bears. But you know, so far I think he's had. I mean, if you, if you're honest, I mean, he's had really one good game for the Bears. The rest of them were kind of crummy. Yeah, and basically it was against a team that most people treated like. Like shredded cheese, kind of. Yeah. You know. Other than Trubisky. Yeah, other than Trubisky, obviously. But yeah, I mean, I I couldn't really fault him for signing Foles at the time because it wasn't a lot of money. But even I was shocked at how poorly he's played. You know, after that first game where he subbed for Trubisky and did really well, but his other, I don't know how many games he played, four or five games after that, they were terrible. All right. Well, we've got our. Our general Bears analysis. Uh, there, you got some quarterback talk. You got uh, some wide receiver talk, and and uh, and uh, just how doomed we are next year. De- destined, <laughs> well, it's not all de- doom and gloom. Sorry, we're 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 destined for mediocrity, is what I guess yeah, I should say. That that's what it is, you know. We're eight and eight, baby. 
every year when the season comes around and all the prognosticators try to say, what do you think the Bears are going to do this year? It's usually, you know, 90% of the time it's between 7 and 9 and 9 and 7, you know, 8 and 8, 9 and 7, 7 and 9. And, <laughs> you know, it's not all doom and gloom. I mean, the fact of the matter is that they have still a good defense. Yeah, they're going to have a new defensive coordinator who they seem to be really high, and they think he might be, you know, comparable to Vic Fangio who had left uh, the year before last. And like I say, he might get a, a good draft of a quarterback, or he might bring in a, a veteran who's halfway decent. Who knows? Maybe Foles will rebound a little bit. Um, and you should so, have you should have you should have people like Cohen back next yeah, year which Cole, i know that I, that hurt a little bit anyway I, I think there was a loss i really do not so much in the running game but in the in the passing game you know those dump off passes i i, I think that was a hurt not having tyree cohen well and i think they finally and they finally got a little more um they finally became a little more aware of patterson's abilities this year and i really hope that he's not somebody that they'd be planning on chopping block cuz i i think or putting him on the chopping block cuz cuz i think this year he really proved that you know he can he he's worth something to them whether you're talking about as a returner a running back or a wide receiver yeah i'm not sure he might even be a, a free agent to be honest with you well he's i don't know I, see him listed. I i don't know what what money he commands but i know typically he's he knows he's not a super high end in all systems but he's but he's a pretty high end usefulness here so I'd hope maybe it's in his best interest to try and prove it here. Plus, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know how old Patterson is. So realistically, maybe the the interest in leaving is not high. But yeah, you're right. I mean, he's he's not going to command you know gigantic pay. There's no question about that. Yeah, Alan Robinson. Uh, just for clarification, Alan Robinson is a free agent officially, and his cap hit was fifteen million this past year. Mm-hmm. So, even with that, I mean, uh, well, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with him. But I, I would hate to see him leave. But I, I think there are replacements out there at a lower cost. I guess Patterson's cap hit was five million seven hundred fifty thousand. Oh. His cap hit. Oh, we're Oh, why do I have a different number? Well, oh, my, oh, mine's, oh, mine's an estimated career earnings salary is about 4.1. Earnings of 4.75. It, it, it says it's estimated, though, from sport, oh. from spot track. Well, yeah, I'm on spot track if we're, you know, you put in the 2020 year, and he's listed. In fact, his salary was 4150000 for this past year. Okay, and then I have earnings for 4.75. Yeah, that could be. But his actual cap hit, I guess, was five million seven fifty. So yeah, that was maybe, actually, maybe there's some kind of bonus in there or something. Yeah. Um. But but I mean, it's I don't know for a truly utility person and someone who, you know, really helped out the return game quite a bit. Uh, last year or this this current year, I guess. But yeah, so that's I think that's your varying analysis there. Uh, I don't know if you have anything. Uh, in terms of a. Do you have any did you knows or is there anything else you wanna anything else you wanna kinda run over? Well, we had a pretty extensive did you know uh, session last time. Yeah. In fact I think one of the uh, one of our experts on the panel correctly said that it was probably the highlight of the show. 
Well, yeah, uh, yeah, no, it wasn't. Uh, no, it was it, it was good, and I know I know he I know Nate particularly enjoyed it. Um, for Bart, it's usually movie related questions. Is a movie or TV related questions are usually the the bane of his existence because he's it's it's not really his forte. But I just have one one quickie this time, and it's a little obscure. Once again, there's no looking things up, okay? Is it all we're all big fans, or a lot of us are big fans, I should say, of the old classic horror movies. And I, I was looking online, the question was raised the other day as far as you know, what was the first you know, we have the, the, the first movies involving certain monsters, okay? So for example, what do you think was the first movie that had a werewolf in it? You know, when what do you think it was when it was made and what it was called? You know, the name is of is that it. Werewolves of London? That's a good guess. Thirty-five, maybe. Yeah, that's a very good guess. So it was Werewolf of London, nineteen thirty-five. Was the first universal uh, werewolf movie. People usually think of the Wolfman, Wolfman with Lon Chaney Jr. That was later on in nineteen forty-one, and I still think that's probably the best werewolf movie of all time. Yeah, no, I, but yeah, Incredibles may as Incredibles may seem though. There was actually a movie called The Werewolf in the silent era back in nineteen thirteen. It's long lost, you know, no one's ever seen it. But the speculation on IMDb is is that it actually was about Native Amer- uh, Native Americans, about a Native American woman who turns into a a, a werewolf. Now, so it's like it? the so it's like the predecessor to Twilight. Yeah, I guess you can kinda of look <laughs> at it that way. I, I thought the same thing, you know, you can kinda of look at it that way. Same thing. Uh, the question is, what do you think is the first Frankenstein movie ever made? Certainly the classic Frankenstein we think of was 1931. Once again, Universal. Universal made all those classic horror movies of the 30s, even the 20s. Frankenstein, with, you know, the monster is played by Boris Karloff yeah. in that one. Um, huh. Well, that's an interesting thought, man. Because I knew the one with werewolves in London always trips me up. When when the first even Universal like one of it is you know so I always think like the Wolfman and then I'm always I know I'm always wrong. Um, well, with Frankenstein, I know the general concept probably goes pretty far back because obviously Mary Shelley's Frankenstein goes much further back than yeah, that. So it's that. become so it's become so it was already an idea. Yeah, I don't yeah, I I, don't, I I couldn't give you a name, but I but I'm assuming it's probably from. The late twenties, yeah. Urban. Actually, uh, what's well, called Frankenstein, or maybe Edison's Frankenstein. Believe it or not, this goes all the way back to nineteen ten. Edison's Frankenstein, and back in the uh, the early nineteen hundreds, Thomas Edison actually had his own film corporation, and they'd make movies. And somehow I got the idea to make the, the a movie about Frankenstein. Now, it didn't follow the book hardly at all, other than there was a monster created. I mean, the whole the whole movie lasted fourteen minutes. Yeah. Okay. Back in those days, yeah, it uh, only took him. It only took him ten years to make it. <laughs> they probably made it in an afternoon, frankly. But yeah. uh, if you ever look at it, I think there's only maybe two different scenes, two or three different scenes, and it is available on YouTube. So if you put in there Frankenstein 1910, you'll be able to watch it. Uh, you know, for 14 minutes or 13 minutes, it's it's totally watchable. Uh, no big stars in it. But the monster is quite ugly. I will tell you that. Uh, in that one, he's actually created through black magic or you know some kind of uh, cauldron he's made in rather than electricity you know being generated. For some reason, but, I feel uh, like 
This is yeah. This is really striking me as a, something that might be, might, I might have run across earlier, but maybe it wasn't Frankenstein. It was some old movie that was made for a. Um. Yeah. Never mind. Go ahead. Keep going. No, I, I was just gonna say that um, it was long thought for decades and decades. It was thought to be lost because so many movies have disintegrated because of the nitrate stock they're on or they get burned up. Usually they get burned up in a, in a, a fire at the studio. There's fires that break out because film is highly flammable. So a lot of films have burned up in vaults. But it was it was discovered a while back and kept kind of quiet that there was one collector. Was like, remember, I was, there was a lot of private collectors out there who actually had it, remarkably. And once again, you know, the problem is this guy had a ridiculously inflated sense of what this thing was worth. Yeah. You know, he wanted to sell the thing to somebody for like a million dollars. Well, you know, it has a little bit of historical significance, but from an entertainment perspective or how much money you could make if you bought this thing, it's minimal. He eventually, this guy actually put it on DVD himself and his own private company and issued it. And cause it didn't take long for people to copy and put it on YouTube. So, <laughs> so, it's out, so it's out there now. Now, the guy's dead now. I, I think he yeah. died like 20 years ago. But uh, but that's an, a good example of a film that was long thought to be lost. It has some historical uh, interest. What do you think was the first Dracula movie ever made? Probably Nosferatu. Yeah. Obviously, that's a really good guess, too. Uh, we all know about the famous, you know, Bela Lugosi film from 1931, well, the classic. What, what, year, what year is Nosferatu? Nosferatu is 1922. Starred Max Schreck, which, oddly enough, Schreck means terror in German. But it's actually not the first one. Um, it looks like there's at least Dracula films... They're long gone. No one's ever seen them lately. Uh, back as early as 1914, uh, even. Uh, in fact, there's rumors that Russia made a Dracula film, in fact, in, I think, 1914 or so. And there was, I think, a Hungarian version that was a year after that. So they, they're not famous. No one's ever seen them. But, but certainly, uh, Nosferatu, you're right, in terms of Nosferatu is the oldest Dracula film that's still around, and it's certainly... Yeah, I was gonna say the, the earliest of the of the famous ones. Yeah, fil- fil- right. films or it didn't happen. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I totally shot. Uh, I shot the first Star Wars in 1907. Oh, no, what do you what do you mean? You want to see the film? It's from 1907. I don't have it anymore. You just have to take my word for it. Uh, but believe it or not, uh, Dracula. Even though it was in the sound here, it was the first American Dracula film, and Dracula actually was the first American film that had a supernatural character in it. So that, had, that, that doesn't that doesn't super surprise me. I mean, I guess it's on the cutting edge of sound in 1929 or a third. Is it was it 29? Right, 29. Right was the, was kind of the cutting edge when films made the conversion to sound uh, on a grand scale. But for the most part, where you might have like German movies might have like supernatural characters like a Nasferatu. And truly, I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's copied right off the Dracula book. So, I mean, it, they renamed the characters because they didn't pay for the rights to Dracula. So, you know, the, the, the vampire's name is Count Orloff. 
but he's really Dracula. You know, and all the different characters, you can tell who they are in the Dracula book, but they're all renamed differently. Yeah. You know, and what happened is the producers got sued anyway by the widow of Bram Stoker, the writer of Dracula. And in fact, <laughs> the court ordered all prints to be destroyed. So <laughs> we're kind of lucky, you know, obviously some people kept prints, you know, hidden yeah. away of Nosferatu, but that film theoretically should have been destroyed and not existed. But uh, American movies typically in the silent days focused on deformed characters rather than supernatural characters. So you did have some really great ones. 1923, you had Lon Chaney and the Hunchback of Notre Dame. 1925, once again, Lon Chaney, Phantom of the Opera. Uh, you had Conrad Veidt in The Man Who Laughs in 1927. You know, there were several silent films, but they mostly focused on deformed characters rather than supernatural ones. So Dracula is, is, is the first American supernatural film. Okay, so they're both. So okay, so they're they're universal. So all three of those main characters, they're all American movies, correct? Right, Phantom and Hunchback and Dracula are all. Oh, American sorry, films. I meant I meant uh, so werewolf. Nas for, Nas, oh, werewolf, yeah. Werewolf of and London and The Wolfman and Frankenstein. All those are universal films, so they're, yeah, they're all American. That's why I say universal really is the king. They didn't say to be the king of the monsters, but but they kind of defaulted to that because they, they, they made a monster movie and it was a big hit, in this case, namely Dracula. So then they said, well, let's try Frankenstein. That was an even bigger hit. And they just kept making them. So that was kind of their their old standby, you know, go make a monster movie when they need to make some some money. And they were the kings, you know, throughout the 30s and 40s. And like I said, they made a few in the 20s, not many, three or four in the 20s. But uh, it wasn't really so much a series. It's, it's kind of like filming these classics. You know, I, you'd have to say Phantom of the Opera and Hunchback, Mandalay. Those were considered like literary classics rather than, you know, horror stories or horror books. Yeah. But definitely, uh, you know, Universal certainly inflated the horror elements. So, anyway, the point is, I, most people are not aware that they're just almost all the big classics, the really big monumental films that were done so well later on. Uh, almost all of them have been visited in the silent era. It's just a lot of times these films are never shown on TV. People won't watch them because they're silent. A lot of them have disappeared. They disintegrated. They're burned up in fires. Yeah, that's always so, that's always been one of my one of my things is I know I I like older movies and I get behind a whole lot of um these you know black and white get behind the were, werewolf and Frankenstein you know Dracula all the all the Hammer horror movies from you know the fifties and the sixties and yeah and you know I love Vincent Price and everything and mm-hmm. and TV shows similarly uh, of the era but. The one thing I I cannot get myself to do is is get much into the silent era, and I don't. And no part of me means for that to be a, you know, a blast on those films or anything. That they're they're unbel- Most of them are unbelievable productions of what people had at the time, and everything, and um, oftentimes you know some of them some of them border on legendary as far as just the people's creativity with how little they had. Um, but I, I don't tend to spend too much time actually, you know, digging into them. Yeah. And I, I don't blame you a bit and I can certainly understand why people you know, hesitate, you know, to really get into silence. 
But unfortunately, there's a couple of cases. In fact, the films I mentioned, if you want to talk about the, the Man Who Laughs, Hunchback of Notre Dame, and Phantom of the, especially Phantom of the Opera, those are just such uh, tremendous classics that uh, they're, they're probably worth you know trying to sit, sit down and spend an hour and a half or so to, to watch them. Because I, I will tell you, especially the, the Phantom, I don't think has ever been equaled. I mean, there's been many, many, many versions of Phantom of the Opera uh, movie. And... You know, none of them can touch the 1925 version, with uh, which which really is is funny because uh, at the time it was made because they made so many cuts and so many rearrangements and changes that it was thought to be kind of a mess when they when they issued it. But mostly because of Cheney's performance and the makeup and so forth, it really is just an unparalleled success. But I, I certainly can understand why people don't get thrilled by by the silent era. It, it's it's very much different than what you know, we're used to today with, with sound, certainly. Well, there you go, everybody. You've got some, you got some movie knowledge. Um, you got tons of sports talk, probably more than you, you could have possibly stood in, in, a, in, in several settings. Um, <laughs> more than you wanted anyway. Um, but I appreciate everybody listening. I know it's a, it's mostly, it's, it is a lot of fun to do these and to, to go back and be able to listen back to everything and you know have these re- conversations recorded so it is a lot of fun and I'm, and I'm glad I could do it with you obviously my dad's here I appreciate you joining me yeah it's, it's great fun I agree uh, I don't like is it's embarrassing of all the predictions I get wrong <laughs> but we'll see what happens here well but it's, I, it's I think you feel pretty safe yeah I think you feel pretty safe and obviously the only person who's going to know about it is mom <laughs> yeah. Hi, Mom. So that's that's what I'm banking on. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you can find us on Facebook uh, under Surviving the Ground. We've got a page. We got a group. Uh, Twitter under the STG Podcast. Um, t-shirts. I'm just kidding. Uh, we don't we don't have any merch. Um, but yeah, thank you for listening in, and um, hope everybody uh, enjoys. We'll probably get another one of these in before the Super Bowl. Uh, if not, definitely after to analyze that. Um, but I hope everybody has a good Pro Bowl, uh, digital Pro Bowl weekend. And I think they might even do some skills. But I um, hope everybody has a good uh, pre-Super Bowl weekend. And uh, this, everyone get themselves, get their clocks set for two Sundays from now. Big game. Big game. All right, we will see you guys in the near future. 